whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America, and I'm here with the Legal Report with Warner Mendenhall and George Johnson from the Mendenhall Law Firm and Clay Cozart, who is the head of the Fraternal Order of Police in Akron, Ohio. And we're going to be talking about what are some of the legal actions available to Americans across the country to stand against the unlawful mandates that have been issued with regard to COVID shots and including unlawful mandates for all EUA products, which gets into test kits and EUA masks, none of which are approved by the FDA for the prevention of COVID or for the diagnosis of COVID or as a vaccine. In fact, they are still experimental use authorized products and they are gene therapy agents, not the medical definition of a vaccine. So Warner, you have been fighting against these unlawful mandates from employers and all across uh, institutions such as hospitals and universities, all just every um, sector we can think of, you have litigated in standing up against these unlawful actions in so many ways. I think at one point you told me that you had litigated in 12 different areas of law that were violated during the COVID pandemic. And I suspect by now, it's many more areas of law. So welcome to the Whistleblower Report, and please introduce your team and what you've been doing on the ground in Ohio and the other actions that you're involved in across the country. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Bleep. The, uh, Clay Cozart and George Johnson, first of all, are my friends. And uh, we all live uh, here in uh, Akron, Ohio, and it has been a remarkable process, and it has been very heartening to have friends that you know stood with us and fought locally. And I think that the resistance that they uh, you know both helped engender and helped support uh, really kept our city much more safe than many other communities. And and we're in a generally liberal environment here as well. So so you know it was very important to stand up. George and I have known each other for decades. Uh, he's retired from the city of Akron and joined me as a government and labor relations specialist here at the firm. So he reaches out and has helped with unions uh, across Ohio in terms of the resistance to the mandates. Um, Clay and I have also been friends for <laughs> decades. And uh, gosh, Clay, it's it has been a while. And uh, Clay, in fact, uh, worked with us uh, with a low power radio project that we had. Um, he uh, served, he served on the, serves on the Akron police force and then uh, was elected president. I'm not sure what year exactly, but is now, now serves as president of FOP Lodge 7. And what he did very early on showed uh, some real courage uh, in his position to stop mandates in the city of Akron uh, and stop and you know stop this enforcement of a very particular law in which they wanted to limit people's gatherings in the fall of 2020. And uh, the fact that the head of the FOP union stood up and said, that is not something that's enforceable in our city and it's not something that we're gonna do 
um, I, was just really, really heartening. And I can tell you <laughs> that my family uh, violated that law by getting together. Uh, I think 23 or 24 of us got together for Thanksgiving. Thank you very much, Clay. And we were not worried about a policeman knocking on our door at all. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and um, George, uh, if you uh, let's start with George. Um, could you describe, you know, and I think one of the things that's important here, and we were talking about this the other day, is just that, you know, our local connections and our friends and making sure that we have these local connections and are communicating uh, to each other, it really builds a community and really can build a strong resistance to these illegal mandates. And I, and I do want to point out to people that, you know, what Dr. Vliet said is absolutely true. These, everything was emergency use. The masks were emergency use. The shots are emergency use. Even initially, some of the treatments like remdesivir were emergency use. And we have to, as a people, say no. And so let's start with George. Um, George, uh, we've worked with a couple of unions. Can you tell the, some of the stories that, that, that we've dealt with um, in the course of this pandemic with some of the unions? I'm particularly, one of the things that that pops to mind right away were the Head Start workers who came in. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And, and that was, you know, that came to us true, truly because of a family tie. My daughter was a, a, a Head Start uh, uh, teacher at the time. And uh, she was uh, adamantly against uh, uh, getting the shot. And, and we had many conversations about that. And she knew what we were doing over here at the law firm. And uh, so uh, when uh, uh, she was mandated um, to, to, to get the shots along with her coworkers, uh, first thing she, she did was call me. And, uh, you know, I suggested to her, well, just go find another job if your union is not going to do anything about it. But if your coworkers want to file a grievance, you know, I can help them through that process. And uh, so some of her coworkers called me. And uh, so we uh, devised a plan to uh, push back on it. I reached out to her state uh, union and uh, they were, of course, for mandates and, and, and whatnot until I explained to them, you know, you know, the, the, the fallback and, and the, you know, the disadvantages of that. And, and the fact that, you know, the, their members in the majority don't want this. And you're supposed to protect and represent your members. And you know this. And uh, they they said, yeah, George, you're right. And they did some more, uh, you know, looking into it. We had a few conversations. And so they stood up to the head of the uh, 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 Head Start program here in Akron, a guy named Malcolm Costage, and uh, got him to back off, you know. And uh, that was pretty much the, the beginning of, of unions starting to understand, you know, you know, they may be uh, at the state or national level for mandates, but they need to listen to their members locally because they're the one paying the dues and they're, they're supposed to represent it. And that, and that kind of started it all right there. Then we, we had some more conversations <laughs> with some other unions. Um, I believe it was, uh, what was it? What was the name of the union uh, down in Portsmouth Warner? It slips my mind. Well, we had a number of uh, union employees who were were federal, uh, and uh, some of the ones in Orville were steel workers. Uh, the uh, the unions down in Portsmouth were energy workers. Right, right, yeah, those are the ones. And uh, and and it was interesting because in Portsmouth, the local um, the local president uh, really did stand up and fight. And in that effort, uh, we salvaged a couple hundred jobs at a at what's called a gaseous diffusion plant, which is a nuclear refining uh, plant. And uh, it's a yeah, we saved 200 jobs in that location. But that's just because the local president stood up and fought and got them back. So, George, one of the things that you did uh, with Head Start, and, and you kind of alluded to that, you actually, you went to the local president. Did you go beyond the local president with Head Start? Yeah, um, uh, the local president wasn't sure what to do, how to handle it, uh, was a little nervous. Um, so, you know, I, I knew um, the uh, uh, second uh, uh, president 
you they have a they have a first president, second president, and a business manager is the hierarchy in that council. So I knew all those guys. So I I uh, um, reached out to uh, the, the the second vice president down in Columbus, Ohio, um, and a guy named Dave Martin, and uh, uh, had some discussion with him. He you know he he agreed that uh, he needed to to take a closer look at this, and um, you know seemed fairly quickly that, you know, the majority of his members didn't want this and they needed to, to listen to their membership, you know? And, and one of the things that you knew was how unions are structured. So we have the locals, but then we have state level organizations as well. And then ultimately right. there's a national organization, which they call the international. And so you were able to move into the state level as well and, and, and encourage them to behave properly, correct? Correct. And, and I'll say that the the, uh, the national, the international is still pushing mandates. You know, I, I, I've seen literature recently, you know, and that just goes to show that some unions um, have a disconnect the further you get away from the local, you know. Well, you know, George and, and Warner, this this absolutely illustrates beautifully what General Michael Flynn has been speaking and, and traveling across America and speaking on social media and as often as possible, that local action is where it starts and local action has national impact. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think you are, in all of your local efforts, you're good examples of that. Correct, correct. And I believe so too. But you know, that. I've noticed that throughout my career, my union involvement, you know, that, you know, local, um, um, when they do drive their personal thoughts and feelings to the state level and they drive it to the national level, then you can get some action. But, you know, if members are not involved in speaking out or not, you know, understanding how the process works. And that's basically what it comes down to, education of how the process works so they can make sure that their local, national, and international leaders are communicating their thoughts and opinions. Well, one of the things that is curious to me, George, is you know they were able to push back locally despite the international union having <clears throat> bought into the Biden program here. And, and why were they so, why were they able to be independent of the international? What happened there? Well, you know, once they get an understanding of how the process works, and that's one thing that I was able to give them some understanding, they do have their own autonomy. You know, um, you know, when I used to work as an organizer for the unions, um, when I would bring a new union on board and put in new union officers, I would always stress, look, you need to understand, first of all, your contract once it's developed. If it's already developed, learn it. And then you need to understand your local constitution, your state constitution and your international constitution. So you know how to work within these systems and you also know your rights. And, and it's interesting, uh, in a lot of situations, sometimes we found local leaders who aren't that well informed about those contracts or their rights to, to resist things like this. And, and George has definitely played a role in that. I, I want to move on a little bit to Clay. We'll come back to you, George, for a minute. But Clay, as the head of a local union, FOP Lodge 7, <laughs> what was it like for you? Where did your state level and national level uh, people fall out on this issue? Well, and that may be a, a slight difference between the uh, fraternal police and other unions is even the national leaders, I just came from a conference uh, in August, will tell you that we are a bottom-up organization. And so uh, local presidents have a huge influence on not only our state, but also our national. And so they will yield to uh, local presidents and a lot of different um, you know, topics or, or issues or what have you, and especially with this COVID issue and these vaccinations. And I was uh, not hindered whatsoever by my state leaders or by uh, the national leaders. And so I um, did have 
um, a lot of free will to uh, stand up to these mandates, make it known behind the scenes uh, to our local politicians, including our mayor, that we were not going to put up with any mandate. And uh, they they definitely got the the message when our local leaders, and to include our mayor, uh, uh, mandated that you could have no more than six people at your Thanksgiving table uh, during that uh, first year of COVID, and that uh, they would the, the police would not go to door to door, but they would respond to complaints. So I made it abundantly clear because you know it, it, nowadays in, in in policing you have a chief that's nothing but a politician, uh, mainly uh, appointed by the mayor. Mostly, a lot of these the trend is to go outside your department, which we did for the second time, and and it was not a successful uh, or uh, you know endeavor uh, again for the second time. But so they're not going to stand up. And so I had to stand up against the mayor, against the chief, against the city council, and state that my union members were not going to go to these houses and check to see how many people were sitting at your Thanksgiving table. If we received a call, I instructed my members to just drive by, respond as you're ordered to, uh, to whatever address, and then just drive by and say, check's okay. And you're not going to get disciplined. And if you were, if you are going to get disciplined, I will fight to the end, whether it is through the grievance process or all the way to arbitration, to make sure that you're not disciplined. And my members uh, un were united, and they did not follow through on mandating this uh, or enforcing this mandate that you could only have so many people in your uh, at your Thanksgiving table. I'm really glad to hear that, Clay, because that was such an outrage and it was so absurd medically that there was some arbitrary number of people that were safe to have versus one more than that. And somehow it was unsafe and therefore going to reduce the spread. It was absolutely ludicrous. And this this just made me apoplectic to hear that. So I'm glad to know they did not stand up for that here in the city of Tucson, where where we have unfortunately council and police are flagrantly supportive of sanctuary city violating immigration law and eager to support all of these kinds of infringements on our freedom. Yeah, and unfortunately we don't have that uh, in Akron, but I will say this, that despite our uh, our opposition to all of that, we had another fight after that, and that was the city mandating uh, officers to uh, go home and um, be, what they would do is they would say that, hey, we believe that you have been exposed by somebody, and so you have to uh, use your own time and go home for two weeks and uh, not come to work. And, and we fought against that, and we had a grievance. It took two years, and uh, we fought that, and we won the uh, won the grievance and everybody got their time back but who is the city to say who they aren't exactly doctors. exactly who are, right who are they to say that you need to go home and uh and, and be and be away from work because we think that you were exposed it was it's getting to into the silly season well it it was absolutely it was ludicrous and it was it was done as a method of control of, of the population, not on any medical grounds. And the PCR test that they were using was not medically reliable. It was not a diagnostic test, never intended to be. And it wasn't reliable because they could arbitrarily decide how many cycle thresholds they were gonna run. And the more the cycle thresholds that they ran, the more cycles they ran, 
the more the false positive. So we had hospitals that, that we had whistleblowers reporting. They were running those tests at 48 cycles, at which point you have about an 85 to 90 percent false positive rate. Right. But in this case, they weren't even testing because at that time they didn't have tests. And so they were just based on that. They thought that you might have been exposed. You were to go, you were to go home and use your own time. Okay, if you're going to uh, mandate somebody to go home, it should be on city time, not on their own time. Exactly. Then, the CDC at that time, if 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 if, they, if you thought that you were exposed, you at that time you were allowed to report to work as long as you had a mask and you stayed six feet away from other people. And during that time, the politicians they got to work from home and get paid and not use their time. Right. So, uh, all the way around, it was outrageous. Un, un, so unfair to my members. And so I, I, you know, getting back to the uh, the state and the national, you know, I had no encumbrance uh, by those organizations. They know that a lot of these issues are local and they allow the local leadership to make those determinations. And maybe, maybe that's not uh, what another president may do in another local jurisdiction. But that's the way we chose to do it, and uh, we pushed back. We're not going to allow, uh, you know, politicians to tell us that we have to stay home and use our use our own time because they think we were exposed. Clay, I I have a question for you though. What what this was a very public stance you took. It was on the front page of the newspaper that you took this stance. Did you have any retaliation or backlash that you felt? And did any of your members have any retaliation? Well, you know, we have a very liberal corporate media um, newspaper in town that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised they're not out of business yet. So they try to create all of these, uh, these uh, situations that they think are going to get a click online or, or sell a newspaper. And so we did receive a lot of bad press, if you will, from this corporate uh, newspaper, local newspaper. Uh, but for the most part, believe it or not, the citizens were on our side, especially when we took that initial stand to state that we are not going to prohibit you to have people at your Thanksgiving table. And once we did that, we had the uh, support of the people going forward and they trusted the FOP to uh, to make those determinations. Well, that's so important. I mean, and the other thing yeah. that I, I wonder about is, you know, we as citizens of this town, we want our police protection. I, I mean, I, could, I li actually live in an urban core area of the city and our, I have to say our police protection in my neighborhood is superb. We've had some incidents there, and man, it's superb response uh, in this town. And, um, you know, I guess that's one of my questions, too. Did some of these layoffs, these two-week layoffs, did any of that cause any danger to your officers uh, in, in your union? Well, absolutely it did, because we had uh, so many people home. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me tell you, during this uh, crisis, the only people that were benefiting, benefiting were the criminals. We yeah. had people driving 100 miles an hour past the, uh, the police station, uh, mm. giving us the finger because we were told, we do not want you to make any traffic stops because you could be, uh, you could be susceptible to uh, getting COVID during these traffic stops. So we were, we were oh told not to uh, you know, not to enforce the law. And I just think I, I told, I, I try to tell my guys, I said, you got to do, you know, what you feel is, is uh, safe for you, but you can't let crime just go rampant because you're afraid to get COVID because it's really a, uh, a false narrative uh, that they are projecting out there. And I will tell you that the majority of my uh, members uh, now they had to follow orders that they were told not to to make uh, uh, traffic stops or, or whatnot. But if they saw a blatant crime in front of them, 
they were enforcing the law and, uh, you know, COVID be damned, uh, they were going to enforce the law because they were trying to protect the citizens like you, Warner, living in the city. Uh, they were trying to protect uh, those people who they uh, sw uh, swear uh, an oath to protect. And, and also, they swear an oath to uh, protect the Constitution. You know, Clay, that's very parallel to how I reacted as a physician because our bureaucrats, governors, public health officials, and hospital administrators, large group practice administrators in medicine were telling physicians that we couldn't treat patients. And basically, I said, not on my watch. If these are people that I took an oath to help and to treat, and to do the best of my to my ability to help them, I'm going to do what I can. I don't really care what the governor of Arizona tells me I can do. He is not licensed to practice medicine. I am. I'm responsible for my patients. He is not. And I, I just said, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead for the same reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I figured I would find some good lawyers to defend me. Now, as it turns out, it took two years before we found some good lawyers willing to stand up in Warner and Todd Callender and a few others. But I just figured I, I was not going to back down on that. And I'm so grateful to now meet others who took that stand. Warner, a couple of comments and then we can take a break. Well, I just think that the example of these two gentlemen here and their courage and what they did and standing up and stepping out into the community, you know, that's just, it's a very contagious thing. And, you know, it's an example that leads the community and leads other people to be courageous. And I know that it's done so in Akron and it's created a space for courage for people to take the leap of faith and to do what they need to do to save this country. And, you know, Along that line, Warner, there have been psychological studies over decades showing that what helps people in a group setting decide to do the right thing is it only takes one or two people to question something that isn't right and to take to make a statement, to stand against it, and it emboldens others to join in. You've got to have someone take the lead, which obviously Clay did, George did, and you did on the legal front. And that's part of the reason we're in the mess we're in, because too few people are willing to take, to take a stand and to risk someone criticizing them. Well, so what's a little criticism? That's a right. very good point, Dr. Lee. Uh, and, and I think that the FOP in Akron taking that stance very on during the Thanksgiving holiday, I do think that that emboldened everyday citizens to say, yeah. And finally, I have somebody on my side right. uh, that uh, is going to stand up to these politicians. And, you know, cops aren't politicians. We're just everyday working people. We're just like everybody else. But we're we're sworn to duty, and uh, we take that very seriously. And I think the everyday citizens looked at that and said, "Yes, uh, they're standing up for us." And then they became more vocal. You're right. You were really an inspiration to people who were battered and and who were uh, confused and frightened, and they needed that. They needed that encouragement at that point, and. I'm just grateful you did it. There were too few around the country who did. And as we go into the threats of more intimidation, more lockdowns, more mandates, more masking, more shots, and more tyrannical control over our bodily autonomy and our ability to move around as free citizens, it's really imperative that we get this example out to people and, and show them this is the local action that makes a difference and helps preserve our freedom. That's what America has always been about. 
And it's getting beaten out of us with this turning to the government for every answer and dependent on the government to solve all problems. So I just am grateful that you have provided such incredible leadership in so many different ways in Akron in the ways you've stood up. Let's take a break here and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Lee for America with Truth for Health Foundation's Whistleblower Report. Check out our website at www.truthforhealth.org and download our treatment guides and our medical legal fact sheets and guidance on how you can protect your life and health and your family and your communities. And check out our brand new Truth For Health store with top quality nutraceuticals to help protect your health. And these are products only sold through medical practitioners. So you have a chance to look at something that is better than what you buy in the grocery store and improving your health while we all take a stand to preserve our freedom. We'll be right back after the break. This message is from the Truth For Health Foundation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Sigloff, a family medicine physician and a major in the U.S. Army. The following are only my opinions. Service members are being coerced to participate in medical experimentation, with over 7,500 service members being discharged for refusing to participate, many of them losing their retirement and medical benefits. There are allegations that the DOD is committing medical fraud, violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and violating constitutional rights of service members. Strong men and women stand ready to defend so that you can sleep peacefully through the night. Now we must stand watch over the military so they can sleep peacefully through the night. Please get involved to help protect the military. This message brought to you by the Truth For Health Foundation. For more information, please visit truthforhealth.org. That's truthforhealth.org. That's truthforhealth.org. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. And this is the legal report with local action that you and your colleagues, family, friends, and local law enforcement officials and other leaders in your community can take to help you stand against the tyrannical directives that seem to continually be emerging from our federal government taking back control at the local city, county, and state level is what America and the federalism concept was built upon. And here with us is Warner Mendenhall of Mendenhall Law Group and his colleague, George Johnson, who is a government of, uh, liaison specialist, government and civic liaison specialist, and Clay Cozart, who is president of Local Number 7, Paternal Order of Police in Akron, Ohio. So, gentlemen, what are some of the other things that you have helped expose on the legal front? I know you gave a program recently where you were talking about some of the laws that the public really needs to understand that are available to us to help preserve our freedom. Yeah, George, um, I think one of the things uh, you've seen a lot of uh, situations. I mean, I, you and I have been traveling around this country uh, quite a bit. What What are some of the highlights that you would share with the audience in terms of workers and organizing? What have you seen? Well, what I've noticed is that once people get a true understanding as to what's really going on and uh, some of their suspicions being uh, 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 coming about to where they they start to understand that they knew something was wrong, especially when we were in Atlanta. You know, I really got a chance to see uh, just average everyday people that weren't a part of the conference, but had a chance to peek in on some of the things that were being said, some of the literature that was around, and these were regular hotel workers, you know, and some of them were just guests and um, and they were coming up to me or I was overhearing conversation and they, they were saying, I knew something wasn't wrong with that. 
You know, I knew there was something wrong with that. I need to find out more about what's going on. I'm glad I didn't take that shot or I shouldn't have took that shot, you know? And that's what kind of stands out to me is that when once people, you know, who already had some sort of gut feeling actually get real information and how their brain just clicks. Yeah. You know, I forgot about that, uh, George. Thank you for reminding <laughs> me. But it was so funny because a lot of the hotel workers would come in and they'd be, you know, dealing with the room and dealing with the people, but then they would they would hang out for a minute and just listen. Yeah. Hear some of the people talking about what was going on in their communities. And we had people, of course, from 32 states and a couple of different countries, Australia and Canada had come down. Uh, so, yeah, we had the one uh, young woman who had, uh, you know, actually snuck across our border up in Maine to get to Atlanta <laughs> because <laughs> she couldn't get on a flight. So, you know, oh, my gosh, what stories. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. And and that, you know, it, it is true, too, that everyday people just don't you know, we, we have, that's what we have to do. I mean, the education that we need to do so people understand their rights, you know, whether it's uh, uh, going to, you know, having to wear a mask and, you know, that was an EUA. You did not have to wear a mask and, and, right. and, and your union, your union, force that union to represent you and force that politician to back down. I mean, if we say no, you know, if we just don't comply, that's the answer here. And, and everything was couched in kind of a legalistic way as if these really were mandates. They're not. I mean, that's the, that's the fundamental thing is that you have an opt-out provision on any emergency use authorized vaccine, medication, product, anything. And all of this was under emergency use authorization. So people need to just understand what their rights are and they just walked all over people in so many ways so yeah i uh clay i one of the things i wondered about in the police force because you guys did uh you did stand tall but did that cause a bunch of death and dying among the officers or what happened with your officers because everybody was telling you you were going to die if you didn't get the shot if you didn't use a mask if you didn't distance what happened uh you know, there was no significant uh, difference whatsoever from the common flu season. Uh, yeah. and I'm just telling you that I would say that 90% of my membership did not get any shots and still haven't to this day. Yeah, that's amazing. And and your membership, I mean, it's a fairly good sized group of people. It's about, it's a little over. The largest, uh, the largest union membership in the city is the police force. And or even larger than non-union. So uh, we do have a lot of uh, pull and a lot of say within the um, the all of the city workers. They they look to the FOP as leadership. And, you know, there are a lot of times when our city will know they can't mandate something uh, to the unions because it has to be negotiated, but we'll still mandate it to non-union members. And I even think that our speaking out empowered non-union city employees to also say, well, if the FOP is against it, uh, if Akron 7 is against it, then we don't think we need to be mandated either. And and so it, it really was, like, like we discussed earlier, it really was somebody coming out and pushing back, uh, somebody that had standing uh, and had, uh, you know, had some sort of uh, you know, power within the city to push back for not just my membership, but for the memberships of the other unions and the memberships of the non-union members. You know, what strikes me just listening to you today is one of the things that happened is the city sort of overstepped with that uh, limitation before shots were even available. So it, <laughs> it, it inoculated us to an extent yeah. against what oh, was absolutely. And, and what was I really coming. think that Yes, I, I'm, I'm just saying that, I again, that was very highly publicized in our local, local corporate media that the FOP was against going door to door and checking to see how many people were at your Thanksgiving dinner table. And I really think that that was, like you said, they, they, they uh, shot across the bow, but we shot back. 
And uh, that's good. <laughs> exactly. So I really well, think Clay, you know, you're it really is. I I am very encouraged to hear that the majority of your union members did not get the experimental COVID shot because what has happened to first responders across the country is that the ranks of first responders have been decimated with the medical complications of the shot. Young, young, healthy men and women, the number of disability claims across the country, the number of people, the sick time out, the complications, the sudden deaths, cancers. I mean, it is a staggering medical impact and the data is only getting worse every day. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, that's what's, uh, you know, that's what I feel for my brothers and sisters who maybe uh, did not get that leadership to push back. And there are plenty of uh, member uh, police officers across the country who were fired who yes. because of great attorneys like Warner Menendahl have gotten their jobs back and they stood tall. They stood for what, what they uh, believed in and they may have taken a hit and they may have uh, lost, uh, you know, some income, but they got that income back. And in some instances uh, they were awarded time that they could have been working extra jobs or could have been working overtime. And so it was a sacrifice to them and their families. Let's not forget about right. their families. Their families have also suffered because, uh, you know, you're going to be um, taking these shots and then taking, and then that's going to affect their families, not just them. It's just not about them. It's about their families. And so they took that sacrifice and did not get the shot and then sued and then got their jobs back and got back pay plus. And so I, so even more than me being a leader out there and fighting for that, I feel for those uh, members who were fired across the country, uh, but yet stood there, they stood tall and then they, uh, they fought back and they won and deservedly so, but it was a sacrifice for them to, uh, to lose their jobs for that amount of time. No question. And we certainly saw that with our military service members because the Truth Belt Foundation started doing a lot of work to defend our military service members in October of 2021 after the unlawful mandate from Austin. And the thing that was really egregious in the military was Lloyd Austin's mandate was for a fully FDA-approved COVID shot, which did not exist. They knew it did not exist. And the shadow policy was to enforce the mandate with the experimental products, and they knew it. So it, it was a devastating time, and it took a lot of courage to risk your livelihood and your career and your retirement, your medical benefits, and your family security to stand yeah. up against that. Yeah, that was an astounding bait and switch with the Komenati. Uh, and one of the things that I learned uh, kind of after the fact uh, was that they have a marketing window that they actually put uh, on the approval. That marketing window opened and closed on the same day. Exactly right. Yeah. Warner, it was August 23rd, that yep. the FDA yep. press conference was held. We did ours three days later, yep. exposing all of this. But on August 23rd, 2021, the FDA's press conference, their documents that day gave Comirnaty only a conditional approval with five more years of safety data on the myocarditis issue. The Pfizer shot and the rest of them were all given continued emergency use authorization on the 24th of August, that BLA licensing marketing window was from the 23rd in the afternoon to the afternoon of August 24th, Lloyd Austin may, and I don't call him secretary because he doesn't have a valid oath of office, but his mandate came out in the morning on the 24th. And by 
close of business that day, the marketing licensing agreement on the Cominati expired. You're yeah. absolutely right. And they continued the bait and switch with the military and lied to the service members. Those leaders, those generals and commanders and all of the higher ups that followed the Pentagon directives and the politicized Department of Defense directives to mandate those shots or purge those military service members literally were following unlawful orders. And they they all knew it because they knew that Comirnaty did not exist. Yeah. I think, uh, Clay, I mean, what you pointed out is just really uh, important is just there are just millions and millions of people who sacrifice their incomes, their livelihoods, whose families stood strong with them. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I mean, I, I'm glad you're, you're hearing some good stories about people getting back to work. And we have plenty of those, but we also have plenty of people who are not back to work that we are still working with and working for. George, could you address that a little bit? You've seen so many people come in uh, this office having uh, lost a job or whatever. What, what kind of observations do you have of that and their, and their courage in standing up? Well, um, especially I, I think about the nurses, you know, uh, when you ask that question, you know, they, they have so many nurses in this, in this city and in this country have taken a, a made a huge sacrifice um, by standing up to that and losing their jobs. And a lot of them are still out of work to this day. Um, we, I know we have hundreds of them that we're representing here at this law firm. But uh, these, these people, to me, stand out because they know the medical uh, uh, arena. They uh, uh, are dedicated to their jobs in their good jobs, good paying careers that they've made sacrifice by, you know, um, going to, to school and probably got student loans and, and along with families and stuff. And, and uh, they have taken a stand that, that they were just not gonna uh, accept these mandates. And uh, they're, they're uh, got showing plenty of heart. And I have a lot of respect for that, you know, uh, but, uh, I'm confident that at the end of the day, Warner, you're going to get them back to work. The tragedy in that is we are, are, are so, we need police officers, we need nurses, and we have such a shortage of people that want to go into those professions, and yet we're stopping people from having those, uh, having, being in those professions for an illegal mandate. Right. Right. And all of these communities are, are 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 craving new nurses, are craving police officers, are craving uh, fire uh, firefighters, and yet we're telling some people because they didn't get a shot that they can't be in these professions. It's a travesty. It's a you know, yeah. One of the things that we saw, even though uh, the city of Akron does not have a mandate for the firefighters, there were some barriers in terms of EMT training and things like that, paramedic training that the hospitals that would allow you to come in and, and do your practicums uh, were then requiring the shots. And, and that did, you know, we do have a situation like that that we're dealing with here. So even though the city didn't mandate, just, you know, because the medical uh, institutions were mandating and requiring some, we have some young uh, people who are not EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, because of this uh, ridiculous policy by some of the institutions. And even going further, some of the institutions didn't mandate, but their software that they had to go through, the online software, you couldn't proceed with the program unless you said you were vaccinated, quote unquote vaccinated. So, I mean, we the software caused a block, not even the institution in one instance. I was like, are you kidding me? And there was no way around it. I mean, it just... And then the young man I'm thinking of, I mean, we are going to, we have some litigation we're preparing there. Um, George, one of these things, oh, go ahead. Warner, I wanted to ask a question about that because we saw, you've seen it and I've seen it, these egregious violations by the hospitals. The hospitals have bec were used as weapons of the government control and mandates 
that the government was avoiding doing, but they were actually giving payments to the hospitals to do all of this. And the hospitals became more tyrannical than at any time in my career in medicine, which spans now almost 40 years. What, what, are you, what have you uncovered in litigation about the way in which hospitals were paid to carry out these mandates? Well, uh, I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, I, I think the most egregious thing was this threat to pull your Medicare and Medicaid funding if you didn't go along with the program, because most hospitals are fully dependent on Medicare and Medicaid to function. So this national system then completely uh, yoked uh, the hospitals, hospital administrations, and they were not willing. It seems like, it, I, I don't wanna say none, but very, very few hospital administrators were willing to stand up and do the right thing. Uh, on top of the, the threat, that's the stick, there was a carrot uh, you know, with the funding uh, to receive the funding and go along with this. And it was just untold monies. I, I mean, places like the Cleveland Clinic would get an X, you know, a billion dollars uh, in, the co in the COVID uh, funding, uh, you know, other hospitals, the big systems really benefited very handsomely from the, from the COVID money. So they were absolutely slaves to the money uh, that was, was sprinkled in front of them or uh, completely uh, cowardly in terms of not standing up for human rights and, and basic uh, medical, basic, basic medical informed consent rights. Uh, it's it's really a stunning, um, uh, you know, stunning uh, uh, reversal of the duties that we always uh, thought our, our medical profession would, was following. I'm ashamed of my profession for the way in which, as across the board, the majority of doctors and hospitals absolutely violated every moral, ethical, medical, and legal standard in medicine that has been there for my whole career. And, and George and I, we really have interviewed and talked to, oh, so many nurses and, and have heard just some horrendous stories. Are there any that uh, strike you, George? Uh, you know what I'm thinking about? I don't know if you remember when the nurses came in from the, uh, you know, uh, prenatal unit and uh, over at the uh, city hospital here. We had, I'll tell you, Dr. Bleed, I mean, what happened there, we just had very, very quickly after the onset of the vaccinations, uh, there was just an awful lot of fetal death. Uh, yes. And, and it, it just happened right away. So we're sitting here, you know, a couple of blocks away from our, our city hospital. And oh my gosh, these young nurses came in in tears uh, because of all the babies that they were having to deliver to the morgue. And they'd never <laughs> seen that. And, and then, you know, shortly after that, we had the situation in Rancho Mirage that that hit the national news. And then, of course, Dr. Thorpe has been really, really pushing uh, the issue with the problems with pregnancy. And yes, you know, but we saw it, you know, we, we're seeing it on the ground. I mean, as soon as as soon as the shots came in, we saw the damage they started to do in 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 so many ways in our community. And, you know, again, I think, you know, George and Clay uh, just, you know, it just we, we know what's normal for our community. <laughs> right. We know that this was abnormal, what was beginning to happen. So, uh... Well, I'm just grateful for all of you in the way that you have stood firm for this entire time. This is the type of courageous leadership to stand against this evil assault on life. And it is that. And there is no question in my mind because we just did a, we've done a number of programs with Dr. Mike Eden, former Pfizer vice president and research toxicologist and someone who spent his career in rational, safe drug development. And he has analyzed every step of the decision-making process where choices were made about the way in which the COVID shots, for example, were designed. And he said at every medical choice point, they chose the more dangerous option. That was a chilling analysis to think about. And 
it is going to take people of courage, people of faith, and and people willing to push back and stand against this. And I, I just am grateful to know all of you and Warner, especially to be working with you in so many ways with our foundation and your your legal work. So I invite you all back anytime that you have issues to bring to the public. And for all of you listeners, I want you to know that this is the kind of citizen and leadership initiative that you need to seek out in your community. You need to go and meet with your local union leaders, your local attorneys, and try and encourage them to work together with the citizen groups to stand against these unlawful intrusions in our core freedoms across the board. Any other comment, Warner, George, or Clay, as we wrap up today? Well, I appreciate you mentioned the attorneys, and and we are trying to organize the attorneys under the banner of Freedom Council. And we've set up a website for any attorney who wants to join us, freedomcouncil.org, sign in. I mean, we're trying to help attorneys fight these battles. So come to freedomcouncil.org. Let's get you on board, and and we're trying to do everything we can to support you if you need help. And Truth for Health Foundation and Warner Mendenhall Law Group and freedomcouncil.org are planning another legal symposium on medical legal issues for 2024, right, Warner? That's exactly right. (laughs) Okay, Clay, your closing comments to your fellow police union leaders out there and fellow police officers that are listening. Well, I just want to uh, thank you and and Warner for this opportunity to uh, get our uh, story out there and our message, because many times... Uh, we have a lot of the same issues in different local communities across the nation, but we don't do a, a good enough job to communicate with one another. And so with this program allows me to give my personal experience out to others across the country so that they may uh, look to this and maybe they may have the same situation uh, going forward. This is not over this is going forward. It's going to get worse. Uh, and so uh, I appreciate you and your organization for uh, allowing me to have this vehicle to get uh, what we've been uh, experiencing and what we've done in Akron so that maybe others can can uh, can learn from it. Well, you are welcome to come back anytime you want to get a message out and we'll help you do it. Thank you. And George, your comments too communities across the country and people in your similar role in other organizations. First of all, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Lee, for giving me this opportunity. I'd like to just encourage people to get an understanding of their local community, of their their leadership, not only within their union, if they're a part of a union, but also within uh, their community, such as their city council, their mayors, the other uh, uh, politicians, and leaders that uh, uh, make up their city, understand their, their local charter, try to understand any you know, constitutional issues and be able to, to stand up for themselves with knowledge. Knowledge is power. Yes. And being able to have good relationships with some of these people who may not truly understand or have a good understanding of what the majority of people are thinking. You need to get that information to them and work with them and try and convince them that the people, to listen to the people because they're the ones that matter. And you are so right. We, the people, have more power than we realize. And there are more of us than there are of those trying to control us. So remember, General Flynn, local action has national impact. You have just seen the examples of that from our team in Akron, Ohio. And I encourage all of you, it's coming. More mandates are on the way. They've already announced them. They've already announced and the fear mongering has started for the next pandemic. So let's be prepared, get geared up and start making your local connections to stand strong and exercise 
your constitutional rights as free Americans. This is Dr. Lean for America with the Whistleblower Report legal segment. And we'll be back again with another Whistleblower Report. Tune in for all of our archive at www.whistleblowerreports.org and go to truthforhealth.org for a number of resources, medical treatment guides, medical and legal help templates, and legal defense grants. And we encourage our donors to keep supporting us so that we can award the legal defense grants to help fight for our freedoms and sign up for our email alerts. Join us for the Truth Project every Wednesday night. Join us for Faith Over Fear every Tuesday night and our program on hormones, health, and resilience every Friday. We have lots going on. Be part of the solution and join us. We'll be back again. Thank you for joining us.